All right, happy Wednesday morning here, Four Oaks, Pastor Paul. It is Wednesday, April 21st, 2021. And we are walking through the book of Exodus. And we are up to Exodus 32, which describes one of the most um, important and seminal moments, not seminal, but seminal import, uh, moments in Old Testament biblical history. And that is the worship of the golden calf by the Israelites while Moses is up on Mount Sinai um, communing with God. Now, chapter 32 um, is which narrates this account, its aftermath, what happens. We're actually probably going to spend probably the rest of this week on and our sin, and then how God, a crucial chapter. And so today we're actually just going to look at the first six verses of Exodus 32 to sort of get us a running start into, into this text and to kind of frame up all the issues and contextualize it and, and try to start drawing threads from 3,500 years ago um, to, to now. So here, here we go. Let's, let's read these first six verses, Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, to, to, to understand this and what's really the importance of what's going on, we need to go back to the second commandment and the directives that God had given the Israelites when they left Egypt. Okay, so... The first commandment of the Ten Commandments, and we, we looked at this previously, was that the Israelites were to have no other gods before them. And this was a loud declaration that, that Yahweh was the only God. He was the true God. He was the living God um, in opposition to all of the um, itty-bitty gods of the Egyptians who were powerless, who were fickle, who were um, impotent to affect change. And that was what the 10 plagues were all about, showing the power, authority, and superiority of God over everything else. Now, the second commandment um, can sound a lot like the first commandment, but there's a distinction. The second commandment talks about, you shall not make for yourself, God told the Israelites, um, any graven image, okay, any any representation of God. And in this commandment doesn't really speak to the fact of to have no other gods before God. That's that's the first commandment. The second commandment related to how they were to worship God. 
how were they to understand him, how they were to conceptualize and think about him. And the second commandment was really um, prohibiting um, the, the creation of, of um, objects of worship that were meant to represent gods, okay? So, so this is clearly what happened in Egypt, right? The Egyptians would, would they worship many gods, the god of the sun, the god of the moon, and the god of the field, and the harvest, and of life, and etc. And they would make little statues, little idols, to represent their gods, okay? To give them a visible expression to, to worship them. Well, God expressly forbid this for the Israelites, okay? Um, because God knows the propensity of the human heart is that you, um, we can tend to worship um, the, the representative of the thing, the shadow of the thing, and forget about worshiping the real thing. And was really introduced to this concept in a powerful way um, when when went to Israel a number of years ago and visited the holy sites. Now, it's very clear the holy sites are about Jesus. Where was he born? Where was he raised? Where did he die? Where did he minister? But what was striking about many of these holy sites, particularly the, the site of the resurrection, the church of the holy um, sepulcher, that that it was so shrouded in, in trinkets and incense and smoke and symbols and uh, ritual that you very easily forgot what you were there to remember, right? Who, who, who was the object of your worship? In fact, um, there were all sorts of battles and fights among different Christian factions and groups about who controlled these holy sites and what they would do and the rituals they would perform. It was very territorial. And it, it was very clear that the, the, the sacred sites or these historical sites had in themselves become sacred, right? There was holiness attached to um, the actual place, which is in his, historical terms is just the place where God was revealed through Jesus. But for, but for many, it's become um, a, a holy site in and of itself, almost seemingly worthy of worship and adoration of its own. This is why God expressly forbid in the second commandment the, the Israelites to erect statues or idols or physical representations of him because he knew the human heart was to be drawn um, to those sorts of things and they lose sight of God. So that helps us understand what's happening here. I don't think this is a matter of the Israelites rejecting God, okay, and and worshiping another God. I think in their minds, they were still worshiping God, right? They were still worshiping Yahweh. Aaron even points to this, okay? He's the one who sort of superintended over this fiasco, it says, in Aaron, verse 5, made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and brought burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. So in other words, in the minds of the people of Israel and of Aaron, they weren't worshiping another god. What they were doing is they were worshiping a representation of God. Um, they were offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, which they were supposed to offer to God, right? 
uh, but instead they were offering them to this idol, which they think or was were thinking represented God. Now, what compelled them, I think, to do this is that in their mind, there are a couple of things. One, in their in their eyes, God had gone silent, right? God, remember, up to this point, Moses had been with them every day, representing God to them. Um, that God had gone before them day and night with the pillar of fire and 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 the cloud, and there was this there was this representation of him that which would go away, right? Um, so as the people would not mistake that, okay, as an object of worship. But here, God's kind of gone radio silent. Um, Moses is up on the mountain forty days, and let's think about that. That's a long time, right, for a people who were used to having God's messenger before them, um, this, this silence from God was, was, was eerie. It was foreboding. And they sought then to create a physical representation of God so as to um, sort of fill in the gaps until, until Moses returned. Now, why it was a calf, there could be a lot of theories about that. Uh, maybe that was undoubtedly something they saw in Egypt, um, and the fact that their calf was golden. Um, you know, our, our our gods are better than your gods, um, um, Egyptians. Maybe it was tied to the um, some of the sacrificial rites of Egypt and their gods. We're not we're not entirely sure, but we do know the end result. Look at the end of verse six, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Whatever was happening here, okay. Whatever, however, wherever their hearts were and wanted to venerate God, this quickly devolved into some sort of drunken revelry. It, it clearly devolved into um, a celebration of that, that kind of took on a life of its own. In other words, God was lost in this. Okay? Um, and what became prominent okay, were, um, were people in their conceptualization of who they thought God ought to be. And so, so, and again, this is how idolatry always works, right? Um, we take a good thing and we, we sort of centralize that in our thinking. A good thing that's supposed to point to God, to honor God, to be derivative of God, and we make it central. And all of a sudden, the, the thing becomes the most important thing, and we lose the adoration and worship of God himself. Now, there's a lot of personal and corporate applications that we can make from something like this. But, but you know, some Christian traditions have gone all the way of saying, um, you know, you should not even represent God in a, in a TV series like the, or movie series like The Chosen, or you shouldn't have... Uh, drawings of Jesus and things like that, and I, and I think that kind of misses this is the whole point here. But I do think there is a there is an aspect where we have to ask, for example, in our corporate worship, does what we do does it become the thing, or okay, um, are we always looking and pointing to Jesus as the object, uh, as the as the as 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 the the focal point of our worship? And, and, this, and this is why the reformers were so quick, right, um, during the Protestant Reformation to want to jettison from the worship place, the, the church, all these different icons and 
um, symbols because they themselves became objects of veneration and, and not Christ. Christ kind of got lost in that. And I think there's still a principle here that's important for us to apply when we're thinking about worship as God's people. Um, does it, do we find ourselves, from a human standpoint, looking forward to certain aspects of the corporate worship that really ha- don't necessarily, they may have been originally conceived to point to Christ, but in, in all honesty, they've devolved into their, into their own, own worship. And this can happen in contemporary churches. This can happen in traditional churches. Um, when people say, I, I, I just could not worship um, a God. Okay? I just can't worship in a church that has high liturgy or um, that's more formal or this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, have you made your own style of worship a form of idolatry, right? Have you, have you made that the most important thing? And there's people on the other end. I couldn't imagine worshiping God without a choir and without the string quartet and those sorts of things. And again, um, that might be a sign that we've made a style of worship or a mode of presentation the most important thing and not the worship of Christ, which means that we always want to be attempting to simplify our worship corporately so as the things are not to be a distraction and an object of veneration in themselves, but to point to Christ. That's why we would want the word to be the central point of the service, right? Because that's what is speaking most directly to God. The songs we're singing, um, they, they are going to reflect something about our theology and our heart of God. That's on the corporate level. On, on the personal level, we need to recognize ourselves in this passage, right? Just like the Israelites, when, when we don't perceive God speaking to us or working in us or leading in us in the way that we think he should or the way that we expect, we can so easily look to other things to try to fill that void, to try to fill that gap. Instead of waiting, being patient, um, being faithful. See, the Israelites, I think, were meant to just keep being faithful keep worshiping God, keep, keep trusting God. Um, God had not, God had led them out of Egypt. He wasn't going to abandon them now. Instead of taking matters into their own hands and trying to, um, to, to worship and commune with God in a way he said not to worship and commune with him. So, so those are just a couple lessons from these first six verses. But tomorrow we're going to see how does God respond, okay, to the Israelites? And, and it might be a little shocking to us. And then finally on Friday, what God does to remedy this situation um, as it relates to Moses and the people. So there we have it. Tomorrow, same time, same station, let me pray for us. Lord, um, please help us to be able to see ourselves um, in this passage um, and, and see how similar we are to the Israelites. Or we also don't want to substitute the good things of life and make them the ultimate things. Or we, don't, we, we, we want to, to understand worship um, you for who you are in the way that you've called us to do that. And so, Lord, we ask that now that you would give us grace. In Jesus' name, 